the Monsters Inc. Laugh Floor. It's the Mickey Dudes Podcast. Here's your Master of Ceremonies, Wazowski. Hello, humans! Hello, humans, and welcome to the latest and greatest episode of the Mickey Dudes Podcast. I am your host, Pat Chinetti. Joined tonight by my co-host, Dave Koch. By the light, by the light of the silvery moon. Our producer extraordinaire, the man who makes us sound amazing week in and week out, Greg Nevis. Thank you, thank you. I regret nothing ever. Except being the producer of this podcast. I never said that. That is true. (laughs) Oh, we felt it. (laughs) Timopedia himself, Tim Schweska. The Mickey Dudes podcast, now available in color. And from all the way across the pond, Stephen Maxwell. I'm surrounded by idiots. So, so true. And speaking of being surrounded by idiots, we have a ranting Scotsman for everybody to enjoy. Stephen, take it away. We're headed across the pond to the ranting Scotsman, Stephen Maxwell. Okay, here's what you get my goat tonight. The weather. The weather in Florida 90% of the time is fantastic. Sun splitting the skies. Near on 90 to 100 degrees every day. Uh, couldn't really wish for anything more. But come three, half past three in the afternoon, what does it decide to do? Chuck it down. Uh, it's like a biblical proportion sometimes with the amount of rain that comes down. Don't be wrong, it, says it might only last for half an hour. But within that half an hour, if you're stuck out in the middle of nowhere, you get drenched. You get absolutely soaked left, right and centre. And if it just happens to be at three o'clock and the parade's coming on, you miss out. You don't see the parade, you don't see the characters, you don't see the floats, and maybe something you've queued up for an hour beforehand just to see doesn't happen. I know that Pat has just been to the Star Wars fireworks parade uh, at Hollywood Studios and it was rained off. He never got to see the fireworks. Don't be wrong, he did everything else, right? Uh, he got the food, he got the drink, uh, he got the character uh, interaction. No fireworks. One of the things you actually go for is the fireworks because it's so spectacular. Uh, but it's not going to make up for a trip, especially if you're coming from the UK uh, and it maybe only ever once every two years you actually get to go. And if these things are cancelled, that's just tough luck. And that's what's poking the angry bear tonight. In tonight's episode, we are going to the movies. Back in episode 37, we did our underrated movies, which movies we thought were the most underrated. Tonight, when we go to the movies, we're going to be talking about our favorite live-action Disney films. A modern and a movie that we consider a classic. Your definition of classic might be different than somebody else's, but that's okay. It's what we consider a classic. With so many to choose from, this should be an easy topic to discuss. But I'm going to guess we're going to be very different and worlds apart. I might even say oceans apart on some of these choices. I'm looking at you over there, Maxwell. Looking at you, buddy. Thank you. Yeah. I already I already know what's coming. Oh, I love Tron or something. Oh, boy. I was going to say, cue the electronic music. Put some techno (laughs) music in the background for this. (laughs) So... 
And just because it's not my favorite, or Dave's, or Tim's, or Greg's, or Steven's, doesn't mean it's right or wrong. We're just going to have a fun conversation about it. And then obviously later on, after you're done listening to this, head over to Twitter. Hit us up on it and give us what your favorite classic or modern live action movie is. All right, before we start... If it's Chuck's favorite, it's wrong. (laughs) But of course, anything that Chuck says is wrong. Exactly. All right, I just had to take a sip of my Joffrey's coffee, uh, our official coffee. Tonight, I'm drinking Le Cellier. Guys, if you want a really good, strong coffee, head over to joffreys.com. Pick up a bag of Le Cellier. It will transport you right back to Canada, right there watching illuminations or going down into the dark caverns and having an amazing steak. It brings you right there every single time. It's one of my all-time favorites. Go to joffreys.com and get yourself some Le Cellier. It's that good, eh? (laughs) It is. As we just offended our one Canadian listener. Thanks, Dave. No, I'm just kidding. I think we have at least three, maybe. We love you, Chris. (laughs) All right. Shout out to Chris Bean. Here we go. David, I would like to know. Yes, sir. What is your favorite classic live action Disney film? Well, the nice thing about Disney movies is some of them, once they get released, they become classics right away. I'm thinking more of the animation ones, but there are some that just stand out in the live action. And I'm going to go with a hybrid here, and I have to go with Who Framed Roger Rabbit. There is just something about that movie that makes me smile from the hilarious cartoon at the beginning to the excellent animation and the amazing acting job done in in the story. The uh, little uh, innuendo jokes that little kids don't understand... And adults just find hilarious. And on top of that, it's a story of uh, good triumphing over evil. So it's just one of my favorites that never gets old. And on top of that, Jessica Rabbit was hot. She's not bad. She's just drawn that way. <laughs> so, she, so, so she was drawn hot. Exactly. You never saw the movie, so you don't understand the reference, no, my friend. I, do you know what the last time I actually saw that movie? In the theaters? No, maybe. Yeah, it was that long ago. So you could you can give me any references at all. All I remember from the movie, Jessica Rabbit was hot, the eyeballs bugging out of the head, and the animation going back and forth, you know, between, you know, the actors and the, the cartoons themselves. So it was pretty mind blowing for the time period and I, I really I really enjoyed it, but I, I, I couldn't right now couldn't tell you ten lines from it besides, you know, Roger Rabbit's, you know, stuttering and stammering and spitting on himself. You see I remember very uh, vividly the awkwardness in the room when my father was busting out laughing and I was asking him, what did that mean when uh, Dolores asked Eddie if that was a rabbit in his pocket? (laughs) One of those memories that will stick with my childhood and the drawn out story that my mother and my father came up with to divert my attention from it was priceless. It was parenting done at its best. Oh, look, it's a good year blimp. <laughs> <laughs> and that's no dressing it with the trousers either. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Steven, since you've been chiming in over there, what is your favorite? <laughs> uh, gee, I don't even. Uh, I got to. Pre- hold on, hold on. I need to prepare myself for this. Wait a minute. All right, clear the mind. What Steven says is going to be okay. What Steven. Oh, I'm talking out loud. My bad. Steven, Steven, <laughs> what is your favorite 
classic live-action Disney film. Just fall into a trance, Pat. That's the best way to do it. Uh, 1979, a black hole. Oh, uh, I was 10 at the time. <laughs> and for this film to come out, it was, believe it, it was just before Tron, you know, and I know I was going about Tron a lot, but it was a sort of forerunner for a lot of the films that were coming out, sort of space orientated. Uh, I mean, you, you, people like Anthony Perkins and Ennis Borgnine in it, who were big stars at that time. You know, all of a sudden popping up in a Disney film that was a step away from most things that Disney had actually done at the time. I think it was one of their first sort of space films that they actually brought out. Uh, you'd run it with Dowell as well, uh, who had done the Planet of the Apes sort of stuff. And he was sort of, he played the robot, which sort of gave us a funny element into the, the film. I just think it was a, a great storyline, great things to be doing with. Uh, you also had the, the element where it sort of was the first sort of, I'm trying to say, like Mater and Lightning McQueen. You had uh, Bob and you had Vincent as the two robots, and they were very much playing the same sort of roles as Lightning and, and Mater. Bob had the same sort of accent, and I don't know if that's maybe where they got the idea, you know, kind of into cars as well, but it, it was a great storyline. For that sort of time as well, the the animation or the the actual graphics in it were fantastic. I just think it's one of these films you can just stick on at any time. And I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, but I really, really thought it was great, especially when I was a ten year old and it sort of stuck with me all the way through. Well, I you know, I'll give you this. Okay, for it to stick with you all this time, you know, obviously it had to be pretty good. I have to say I remember even less about that movie than I do about Roger Rabbit because I think about a, probably 15 to 20 minutes in, I was asleep and I was in my own black hole. But <laughs> but, but to, to give me, like, you know, the two actors that you said, obviously they're big names. So, you know, it, it couldn't have been awful. So I, I can't rag on you too, too much for it. And, and I do respect your opinion. And I'm not going to say you're Chuck. So well done with that one. You also had John Barry as well, who did the, the music for him, and he went on. He did Doctor No and the James Bond themes as well. So there were some big hitters getting put into this film. All right, son of a gun! I can't believe now. Uh, see, all right. So you give me the actors, you give me the music now, and you gave me reference to Cars. Now I might have to go watch this thing. <laughs> I, I will never. I, I will never watch Tron. I'm just saying that right now. Yeah, yeah. The Catholic school teacher in me is going to confess, and it's been seven years since my last confession, but up to last week when we were chatting about this uh, for this show, I have never heard of this movie until Stephen made a reference to it. I am completely lost on this. I didn't even know this movie existed, let alone that it was a Disney movie. (laughs) No, it's really good. Uh... And again, it's one of these ones that just stuck with me all the way through it. And I don't know why, because it's, it's no a, a excellent, excellent film. But just probably growing up as one of the first sort of big films I went to go and see. Out with a Star Wars, of course. Yeah, Star, Star Wars was a little better. I'm just going to say that. Just a wee bit. <laughs> 
All right, Greg, what do we got for a classic live-action film from your standpoint? All right. Well, do you guys remember uh, Fred McMurray from... He was a dad in My Three Sons. Yes. Okay. Well, he was just one of those kind of lovable, goofy kind of dad characters. And my movie, I'm going back to 1966. It's a film called Follow Me, Boys. I saw this movie back in elementary school, and I remember it making a big impression on me. And after I did some research on the film and looked over the plot synopsis and storyline, I remembered, wow, yeah, that movie was was a really great story. Uh, As I'd mentioned, it starred Fred McMurray, who also was in several other Disney films, The Absent-Minded Professor and The Shaggy Dog, and I think a couple of others. And the beautiful and talented Vera Miles. You might remember her from Psycho, but she wasn't the main character, Janet Lee, who got murdered in the shower. Uh, she played Janet Lee's character's sister in Psycho, so she had actually had more screen time than Janet Lee did. But getting back to the story, doing some research on the film, I found out some really interesting tidbits about the movie and the cast, but basically in a nutshell... It's a story about a man who gives up his job as a traveling musician and settles down in a small town and meets the pretty lady of the town. And she cannot bear children. And he and her adopt a child from the town drunkard. And through that relationship, he creates a Boy Scout group. And it becomes one of the finest Boy Scout groups in the state. Years pass by, this boy that they adopted gets drafted into the army, goes to World War II, and he comes back, and basically it's a story of redemption of people and how that you can change the life of somebody. It's a really nice, heartwarming story. But beyond that portion, when I was doing some research, I found out some very interesting things. The movie actually stars a very young Kurt Russell, who at the time... This was his very first movie in a Disney contract where he was in 10 films altogether. And there's also that Walt and Kurt connection. I'm sure many of you guys know that story that Kurt Russell was Walt's last name that he wrote down or mentioned right before his death. Now, whether that is absolutely true, there is truth to it. But was Kurt Russell's name the last name that Walt wrote down probably never know that but there's that interesting connection there and another point I found out was kind of interesting was that this movie was released just a few weeks before Walt's death so it's kind of interesting that a movie like that back in the 60s that I for some reason just identified with years later when I rediscover it has all these kind of neat connections with Walt and Kurt Russell and Walt's death and so I just found it kind of a little strange in a way but yet neat this is one of the movies that you know I've never seen it but it's on my list of ones to watch and and again by you doing a little bit of research and talking about it here it kind of really puts it a little bit higher on that list because it is something that I think a lot of Disney fans that I, you know, other podcasts or other people that I've talked to, they, they have brought this movie up. So it's definitely something that I want to see. And, you know, the Kurt Russell and Walt Disney connection obviously is true. It's on the interwebs and everything on the interwebs is true, correct? Of course it is. Yes, of course. I have vivid memories of watching this with my grandparents when I was younger. 
that's great to hear because I thought it was a film that a lot of people didn't really know much about. But in talking to folks, I'm realizing that it's one that people are familiar with. And actually in the box office, it did for the time, it did pretty well. I think it grossed a little over $5 million. So back in 1966, that's pretty good. I've never heard of it at all. This coming from the guy who's brought up Black Hole. Really? Really? (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) Wow. All right. Man, Pat's got some serious haterade for anything Steven likes. (laughs) (laughs) I know. See, what's great, though, is I really like Steven. So doesn't that count for something? Yes. (laughs) Yang and Yang. (laughs) Perfect. Uh, no, I, I I love the black hole. I love Tron. I love uh, anything. Pinocchio. There we go. I love Pinocchio. <laughs> wow. I, I, love, I love everything. All right. It seems like baby Herman's diaper is full. <laughs> yeah, probably. All right. Speaking of town drunkards and or Boy Scouts, whichever one you want to take today, Tim, you're up, buddy. Well, uh, the one that I'm going to be choosing, it started out as a series, but because it became so popular, it actually was released as a feature film, and that is uh, Davy Crockett. Uh, it, To me, I thought it kind of described the quintessential classic Disney live action. You had, you know, you had the, the folk heroes, which Walt loved to incorporate into... Uh, and you know into a lot of his cartoons also you know coming into live action you had uh Francis Marion the Swamp Fox you had Felgo Baca you had Zorro it's uh you know it, it really went along with a lot of uh, a lot of neat things and especially it was that original offshoot of the wonderful world of disney where he came he where he originally kind of came around to he wanted to premiere something from each land and frontierland of course was uh was a big feature and Davy Crockett was Frontierland's big feature of uh, I mean Fess Parker was always larger than life and with George Russell you know with uh with uh George Russell uh played by Buddy Ebsen it was uh I mean to me that is that is the no one else can now play Davy Crockett I mean, even even the superb job that John Wayne did in the 1960 movie, uh, 60 version of the Alamo, uh, Billy Bob Thornton actually did a respectable and much more historically accurate job than people give him credit for. For the, I believe it was the 2004 version of the uh, the Alamo, but Davy Crockett's always going to be uh, Fess Parker for me. And there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Timopedia at his best. I never, I I could have bet a thousand bajillion bazillion dollars, and that's an actual number. Look it up. <laughs> that I never would have thought that ever on a Disney podcast, the Swamp Fox Francis Marion would ever have come up. So I give you much credit for that. Well done, Tim. Well, I mean, come on. I mean, that's uh, the, a very young Leslie Nielsen uh, actually played Francis Marion the Swamp Fox. So, I mean, you know, you it's that's always neat to kind of go back and see, you know, especially, again, some of the stars that uh, Walt was actually able to kind of uh, bring into his uh, bring into his fold. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, and again, if this, I think the when, like I said before, talking about episode thirty-seven, and we went through the underrated films, I think that kind of offshot. This is an offshoot of that, and I really enjoyed that topic, and I'm really getting into this topic as well because of the idea of of everything that everybody's talking about, bringing up the actors and the stories and all that stuff. I think it's really, really neat to really think and dive into these these films. I think it's awesome, and and like I said. Francis Marion, Swamp Fox, I teach about them. You know, I just, 
without this without this episode never would have happened in my life so it's a pretty good day for me. Well, uh, and also kudos to you for being a history teacher to actually mention Francis Marion because without guys like him, Nathaniel Green and Light Horse Harry Lee, the Southern <laughs> campaign is lost. So good for you. Good man. Thank you. Thank you. So and to our buddies over at WDW Main Street, you know, you always bust my, my chops about not going over to the Hall of Presidents and all that stuff. It's because I teach it every single day. So, you know, I have to give I, I got to make room for other people. That's all. And I digress, and I will go to my favorite live-action classic movie. It is Swiss Family Robinson. And it is one of those movies that when I saw as a kid, I really connected to it for whatever reason. I don't know why. I, I, I was mesmerized by it, and I think it was because of the booby traps and how they were able to build this tree house that was like larger than life where they had all these contraptions where everything worked. I think, you know, them fighting the pirates and winning and the tiger trap and, you know, everything that they did, the dogs, the kids, the actors with John Mills and James MacArthur, um, you know, Dorothy McGuire, Tommy Kirk and Kevin uh, Corcoran, who's from Old Yeller fame, another movie that I loved. I really, I really think it was just one of those movies that just stuck with me. And what was great about it is my 11-year-old, Ethan, last year actually read the book. And he really enjoyed the book. And it's one of our things one of these days. We're actually going to sit down and watch the movie together. And he's pretty excited for it. Never saw it. Read the cliff notes. <laughs> as, as, as Dave says, meh. Yes. But I will say one thing that we do have in common. Going back to Roger Rabbit, I did enjoy the booby trap scene in that movie. <laughs> well played. I, I was, you know, I was waiting for somebody to say that or something along those lines, and who was going to pick up the childish humor? So, well done, Dave. Well done. Oh, I'm I'm glad I restrained myself then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I teach high school, so it kind of goes with the territory. <laughs> Also, with uh, your favorite movie, uh, kind of a funny story to that. Uh, the director of Swiss Family Robinson, uh, Ken Anakin, uh, f- he actually told a story on a uh, documentary of uh, Walt Disney about how Walt found out that uh, Ken was actually afraid of the tiger. And he said Walt teased him incessantly. Every time he came on set, he would suggest something. He Once he found out he was afraid of the tiger, it would be he would suggest something and then... S- go with well we can't do that because everyone knows ken's afraid of the tiger so oh, uh walt walt found out ken was uh kind of skittish around the tiger and yeah evidently ran with it the entire time they were shooting good for walt i like it i like yeah, it i like be, it he'd be afraid of the tiger eh? also the another kind of tidbit especially with how young tommy kirk is in that movie ready to feel old he's 74 years old right now oh on that note, we're going to go over to our modern live-action movies right now. And speaking of modern and cool and hip, Dave, what is your favorite live-action modern film? Oh, this one's a no-brainer. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. You got Professor Wayne Selinsky, who is just a genius. First he, first he shrinks his kids, then he blows up his toddler. I mean, <laughs> this guy is just... <laughs> He's such a genius. Yeah, that, I'm sorry. <laughs> this guy is just the epic klutz that you can't help but not love. 
And then on top of that, you just think about it how this was one of Rick Moranis' last movies before he... Um, he did a couple more, but before he ended up giving up his um, acting career to take care of his ailing wife who's no longer with us and then raise his children, you just... He is a modern-day hero in so many ways, and it's... He could have gone on he was an amazing actor and this just is one of those things in in a whole career that shows how brilliant he was and from what he gave up it shows what a class act he is today absolutely i love the fact that you brought that up i was going to if you did not so you know i i completely agree with you one i i agree the movie was great it was funny but for what rick moranis did because he did, he did have a career going. It was, a, it was a, a strong career going too, and for him to give it up for for all the right reasons, um, it's not one of those modern day you know tragedy tales where he had to give it up because of a substance abuse. He had to give it up because you know he was dead from a substance abuse or anything like that. He gave it up for his family, which is you know obviously uh, the right thing to do. And ladies and gentlemen, on the day that this episode comes out. Look on the Mickey Dudes Facebook page for some uh, special pictures of myself and Jeff Williams playing in the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, a defunct movie set uh, playground that they had at the studios, which is no longer with us today. Rest in peace. Moment of silence. Thank you. I have some hilarious video of myself riding the ant and... Jeff going down one of the slides. I'm actually really looking forward to seeing those pictures now because the the images I have in my head, because I, I love that playground. Um, it was a lot of fun, but the images I have in my head right now are so wrong that I need to move on and go quickly to Steven and say, <laughs> Steven, what is your favorite modern movie? I have that effect <laughs> on people. <laughs> ah, just when you move on. <laughs> uh, my second one's Prince of Persia, Sansa Time. Uh, was released in 2010. I just think this film's so good. It, it's, it's got so much action to it. It is constant right from the off. I mean, it's a, one of the first films that actually had a parkour or a free running involved in it. Uh, and Jake Gyllenhaal just doing the, the sort of acrobatics and the jumping about within uh, the town is just it's amazing some of the things he actually did. Uh, really about a boy getting plucked from obscurity uh, and put into the king's palace along with his other sons and it's it's very much in the same sort of line as the Lion King where uh, it's the brother who wants to be the king is doing all his his damnedest to try and get to be king Uh, the sands of time really it, it can turn back time doing that and the king's brother Nizam wants to turn back time because at one point he was saving the king from uh, a lion attack and if he hadn't done that the king would have been dead and Nizam would have been king so very much in the same sort of line as Mufasa and Scar where Scar's constantly browbeating Mufasa because he is the king uh, as again it's, it's a great story it's it's funny. It's just I, I could watch it anytime. 
you know, I was, I was doing my homework for this over the weekend. This is watching the black hole and uh, Sands of Time. And I could get back and watch them just right now. Really, really good. One of the best films that I've, I've seen as a live action uh, in Disney. Okay, now this is one that I'm at a conundrum too because if I hear per- Prince of Persia, not even did I know that it was a Disney movie, I would have just assumed that it was one of these universal flops. But I guess it could be worse. You could have invoked John Carter's name. What? Well, so it's all based around the video game that was out uh, in the 80s and obviously been resurrected right the way throughout. So uh, it had a, a history behind it. Didn't too too well in the, the box office. Uh, but I don't know why, because it is all action film. You can, Dave, you can knock John Carter and you can knock Prince of Persia as much as you want, but... George Lucas actually cited those two movies uh, in the cinematography and the special effects of why he said he felt comfortable by giving the Star Wars franchise to Disney. So, you know, hate all you want, it it, it landed him Disney. It landed him Star Wars. So, I guess it's not a total loss. Four billion dollars, <laughs> which I will say was a good price for right about now the amount of money they're going to make off the rest of the films. Oh, yeah. oh, but God. Steve, but Stephen. I'm going to tell you this right now. I love this pick. I've never seen the movie. No way. Never seen the movie. <laughs> but I love this pick because I want to see this movie. And I've wanted to see this movie for a while. Um, again, I'm not a movie guy most of the time, especially half my year was taken up with football. Um, but then the other half of the year taken up with four kids and you know teaching. So uh, it's, it's on my to-do list. And... Um, with you talking about it just now and the, the connections with The Lion King, you know, I know it's going to be a great movie. So bravo, Stephen. Now we have something in common. And once I see it, we can talk about it. Yeah, something so in common. So you'll have a conversation <laughs> about five years yep. from now? I, don't, I, I can't even guarantee it's going to be in five years. But I just think at some point in time, I'll see it. Yeah, the same week he watches All right, well, you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to have to go five years on this podcast now so we can have a uh, follow-up show on this. <laughs> Welcome to episode 300. Pat has finally seen <laughs> Prince of Persia. That needs to happen. Uh, I have to see Prince of Persia or episode 300? Both. No, episode 300 and that is the, and that is the oh, subject. Oh, jeez. That's a lot. Of, Somebody take a note of that for the future. <laughs> Just throwing that that's out. A lot of, that's a lot of pressure, you know? That's not a lot of time. Ugh. We'll, mail, we'll uh, email Jeff, our historian, tonight. <laughs> Perfect. All right, Greg, our producer extraordinaire, give me a modern movie, please. Calling John Carter. Did anyone say John Carter? Yes. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm sure that was mentioned before. <laughs> yes, I picked that as one of my favorites. So that's dating back to 2012 and is really considered the science fantasy genre. I picked it primarily because of the visual effects they were outstanding in that film and actually too because of the stars you have taylor kitsch from friday night lights and lynn the beautiful lynn collins from true blood and she was in x-men origins wolverine that movie i can best describe and i'm borrowing a line from someone else as indiana jones on Mars. Did any of you see it? I have seen it, yeah. yeah. I didn't I have. think much of it. I thought the cinematography was good and the, the, the effects were good, but I didn't think much of the story. Hmm. 
And I agree with Stephen on this. One. I will agree to that. Yeah, definitely. the The visual effects are certainly the strong point of the movie, and unfortunately, it was considered a box office bust. It cost Disney approximately two hundred and fifty million dollars to make, and it yielded worldwide, I think, about two hundred and eighty-four million. So, by those standards, it was not very successful. They had two more films in the works planned after the first chapter of the of the series but because of the performance in the box office those were canceled the story is basically it's action adventure film based on john carter who was a military captain and somehow he gets transported to mars which they call barsoom he becomes embroiled in a conflict of two uh, inhabitants of the planet and he has these super abilities. He can jump really high. It, it, visually, it's a, it's a really neat-looking film, but the story itself is probably a weak link of the whole film. But you know, I've really enjoyed it. It doesn't have to be a great story, but from being such a visual effects geek, that's what really turned me on about it. So that's that's why I picked that one. Did you know who actually wrote the, the, the first set of books for John Carter? Um, let's see my notes here. I don't know if I have that in my notes. No, I don't. It was Edgar Rice Burroughs who did Tarzan. Oh, okay, gotcha. And he did many a John Carter book, and it was hailed as really the first set of science fiction books that were actually out. Yeah, it's a shame that uh, they weren't able to make it more successful because I would have liked to see where the story would go, and hopefully the second and third movies would be even better. I almost feel like if they were to, like, on Disney Channel, make, like, a CGI uh cartoon of the of the other shows uh, of the other chapters that might be something that would actually give it some more longevity almost like they did with the new star wars that's show. a great idea yeah if they ended up doing yep. that yeah it they're not spending money on a for box office information box office happenings but they can really maybe appeal to some of the children that disney kind of goes after that tween crowd that really eats up the whole uh, CGI Star Wars uh, cartoon, so which I can't think of the name of it at the moment. It could have some life that yeah, way. Yeah, and I think... But then again, Tron Legacy kind of flopped. Well, I think part of the problem with John Carter was that the studio is really... I think it was PG-13, and I don't really know that they had a good marketing strategy in place. And I think that really fell short on the marketing and advertising portion. And I don't think that really helped the box office. I just think they kind of didn't know how to market to that age group. That has some validity to it because they're not really used to dealing with that. So I can totally see that. It's just weird starting in the, the Wild West and then all of a sudden ended up in space, you know? Yeah, there is a big jump. But it kind of has a nice Toy Story connection to it. Woody to Buzz, the whole yeah. <laughs> space, the final frontier idea. It kind yeah, of works. So am I... <clears throat> Let me see here. Uh, uh, yeah, never heard of this. Hmm. Alrighty then. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so when you were saying, when you were going back and before with the John Carter, I'm like, I don't know what they're talking about. Awkward. But now, yeah, I know. But now I got a complete, you know, rundown of who John Carter, what John Carter, and everything about John Carter. So that's pretty cool. So now, has your interest been peaked to go? See not the at all. Not not even this. <laughs> I, I think I'd rather. I, womp, womp. I think I'd rather watch Black Hole. Sorry, Greg. That's quite all right. I think I want to see it too. 
Yeah, I'm glad to see that uh, Mickey Dude's Snark Week is in full swing again. <laughs> it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be a week without us being a little snarky, that is for certain. So, all right, Tim, what do you got for me for your modern live action film? Well, uh, the next thing we have on our hit parade here, and the next thing I'm sure Pat's going to say he hasn't seen and has no interest in seeing, uh, would be uh, Disney Disney Earth. Uh, that is the first in the Disney Nature series, and it starts out telling the story of uh, a polar bear family and also a uh, an orca family. And it basically weaves you through uh, kind of the wildlife, weaves you through the just kind of the sometimes the tragic nature of uh, of the way of uh, nature, of the way of the world, uh, the way wildlife uh, sometimes goes. But also the cinematography in this is just unbelievable. Uh, the way I described it, when we were talking about it earlier this week. Uh, think of Soren on steroids. It is, I mean, the, the the shots of just how absolutely gorgeous some of the places, uh, so many places on uh, on this planet are. Uh, it's it's amazing. Uh, actually, kind of hearkening to uh, uh, my my own experiences uh, traveling, uh, I've always been told so many times uh, the United Kingdom, Scotland, and Ireland, Northern Ireland. Uh, it's it cannot be uh, compared unless you see it for yourself, and I feel like the cinematography with some of these shots, uh, you you actually get a full visual and get a full feel, at least some sort of a realistic feel of how beautiful uh, this planet really is. And being a, kind of a history nerd and being a Disney history nerd. Uh, I feel like this kind of reaches back to when Walt would do the true life adventure stories. And he did, uh, when he did the African Lion, when he did the Living Desert, uh, when he did Seal Island. The first one he did when he did Seal Island, theaters didn't even want to show it. And he actually found a couple of theaters to show it for him as a personal favor, just so he could actually submit it to the Academy Awards and actually end up winning an Oscar. I mean, this is uh, this is something that has uh, a great connection to Disney's past, but also kind of teaches uh, teaches our kids about what a beautiful place we live and in which we live, and that we should probably do our part in doing whatever we can to make sure it's around for others. Is this the same guy who's guilty of mass lemming genocide? <laughs> Excuse me, I couldn't even hear what you just said. Mass what? Lemming genocide. Mass lemming genocide. Okay. Uh, I know you said something about that earlier, so go ahead. Um, Dave, um, evidently it's not Pat's turn to ruin it. It's your turn to ruin it. You go ahead. One of those original Disney nature films, and I'm talking back in the 50s while Walt was still alive, chronicled the migration of lemmings and basically said that they have this urge to keep moving on and it ends with a scene of them moving on and jumping over a cliff and landing into a body of water where is a where it is implied that where they keep going and going until they eventually drown if you do a little bit of homework on this situation you actually find out that they um, 
were trying to emulate something that lemmings do that they couldn't really get them to do and they don't really do some they don't really commit mass suicide at the end of their lives what ends up happening is they are trying while trying to migrate some of them do end up drowning and trying to cross huge bodies of water so what they did was they actually went to a section of the planet that was not actually what was featured in the movie and they herded a bunch of lemmings into a river and we'll just say from the Disney uh, experience they probably were rescued afterwards but it was kind of kept under uh, wraps so Walt wouldn't find out at the, at the time but they needed the shot they weren't getting it so they had to manufacture the shot and I really appreciate you just completely ruining anything I just said for the past five minutes. <laughs> well, but... Anytime, my friend. But he still loves you. Does that count? Jeez. Good no, lord. Well. Hey, by the way, that movie you like, it sucks. <laughs> I, I don't think anybody has said that tonight. At all. Well, I do enjoy the Disney nature movies, especially the one about the monkeys that recently came out. That's what I was saying. It led on to a hell of a lot more for the Disney... Nature, nature, no naturist. <laughs> Definitely don't want to see that. It's, I mean, yeah, they've done Disney Sorry. bears. They've done the natural world, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's it 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 showcases places where I mean, some people may not, you know, really uh, direct a lot of attention, and also it, you know, it piques the interest. I mean, for crying aloud, it's actually trying to teach people something. It, that that really doesn't happen that often. With educational programming, has kind of become almost uh, an oxymoron at this point, especially with some of the programs uh, that we see out there. So uh, that's the one thing I love about that. Well, TLC that. used to be the learning channel. Now look at the garbage and, they And that's exactly it. my Amen. point. I mean, that's why I absolutely love this this Disney Nature series is you actually have, you know, some sort of an attempt of teaching people about what the planet is, about what the planet's about, and, you know, just taking a little segment and just, telling a story but yet also teaching people about it i mean it's it really is amazing and again i like it because it's got you know one foot in the past of you know it's uh kind of an homage to how again the true life adventure stories about how the wonderful world of disney was uh used with some of the documentaries he did and also i mean you can even go back almost as far back as when uh when walt did uh the films on latin america with the three caballeros I mean, it's it's again, it's uh, it's it's that it's that educational side of Disney, which sometimes isn't given the proper credit it should be. Well, Tim, I I would never ever ever say anything bad about the Nature series. I would never say anything bad about this movie. Um, it was something that when I remember seeing it for the first time, or I can't say I've seen it all. I've seen bits and pieces of it. Um, we actually had it um, in my school uh, where I teach. And I was able, to, you know, we were able to see bits and pieces of it, and it is pretty amazing. But I do have to ask a question because you were that you said Soren on steroids. So obviously, this movie doesn't have the CGI, and the new Soren has a lot of yes the CGI in it. What? So I know Tim, you you were just there. We were just a lot of us were just in the world recently, um, depending on when this comes out. How much did the CGI in Soren bother you? Honestly, I, I, I didn't pay much attention to some of the CGI. I just kept on paying attention to the landscape. And some of the shots they, they got were absolutely gorgeous. I mean, you, it's, I mean, 
why why try to focus on the negative of what I mean? Well, we we already have someone who does that, <clears throat> Dave. Um, so uh, <laughs> we we have we have things you know. It's it's real easy to be a Debbie Downer, <laughs> uh, especially I mean, and, and it's and I'm not even knocking you, Dave. I mean, I I understand because I actually was bothered was a little fabrication bit. Fabrication for educational uses. I was fun. I was a little bit bothered by the uh, the CGI, but quite honestly, I was way more thrilled with just the absolute gorgeous, gorgeous shots they got. Yeah, I, I agree on that. I was just curious on your take on it because I thought, you know, I, I'm glad to see that you went and you saw it the way you did, and I, I was hoping that's where you were going to go with that. So, well done. Well done indeed. All right, for my last one, uh, my modern movie, uh, me being the football coach that I am, this is my – 15th year coaching, something like that. And it is actually my final season of coaching. So this is uh, one that always gets me a little choked up when I watch it, but it is Remember the Titans. Um, it's really, it's one of those type of movies that as a football coach, but as just a, a, a person in general, it warms the heart um, when you, you go all the way down to Virginia and go to Alexandria, Virginia, and you have the integration of a white and black school coming together and seeing the trials and tribulations and obviously the really really harsh relationships that they had at the beginning and how they were se- how they separated themselves and how a coaching staff with one coach uh, being white and a new coach coming in that was black and, and, and just the dynamics of of everything around from the town through the team and how the game of football, brought them closer together and how the game of football uh, teaches them about life. And, you know, for the last 15 years of coaching, you know, before every game, you know, I say a little prayer and it is always about, you know, teach these boys the lessons that this game can teach them. Um, Win or lose, you know, this game, the game of football has a lot to teach people. And this movie epitomizes that. And the way they they did it and the way they brought themselves together and the fun they had. And even when they came back from camp and they had to um, go back to their regular normal lives, um, you know, they were able to stay close and they were able to stay uh, together as a family. And someone that has played football his whole life, you know, and it takes up a lot of your time. You you, you definitely get that, that, that bond of family when you uh, play on a team like that. And I think this movie, you know, really, really did a great job showing exactly that bond. And I think, you know, Denzel Washington was great in it. Um, You know, I think, you know, Will Patton, uh, the other coach, you know, it it was just I think I think the chemistry there was good. It seemed like they disliked each other and then they really grew a bond. Um, I think, you know, everything about it was just something that I could watch over and over and over again. And if anybody has anything negative to say about it, go ahead. It was a great movie. I don't think that Denzel Washington's done a bad film. I really liked him in this film as well. Yeah. It's just, it's a really, really good sports film as well. It just brings everything home. You know, the teamwork does work. You know what's great about that saying, Stephen? I was doing a, I'm doing a finishing up a project in my class today, and this one girl for the last week, we're in groups and we're doing. It, she kept saying that exact statement over and over and over again. So that was awesome. <laughs> I make my seniors do a uh, morality journal every uh, year, and I re- I require 
five movies being read and I have them pick out a moral issue in it and then I have them try to apply it to their everyday lives and this is always one of the movies that's included in the project if they choose to see it. There's about ten movies, they have to do five of them. Cool. That's a that's a that's a fantastic uh, assignment there, Dave. And you know, in, in today's world, you know, a movie like this holds true um, in everything that we're doing and everything that we're going through right now. And you know, I think the world would be a better place, you know, if we could end up more like this team and you know, and, and seeing each other for who we are, you know, not just the color of our skin. And I think you know, on that note, we are going to wrap up tonight's episode. Gentlemen, where can we find each other or where could our listeners find us on the interwebs? David. You can find me on Twitter at Figments Reality and Dave Koch on Facebook. Greg. I am on Twitter at Gene Nevis, N-E-V-I-U-S, and you can always look me up on Facebook. And Stephen. Yep, I'm on SJM Disney on Twitter and Stephen James Maxwell on Facebook. And Tim. Plain underscore Tim. On Twitter and Tim Schweska on Facebook. You could find us all on Twitter at the Mickey Dudes. You can leave us a review on iTunes. We'd greatly appreciate it. Spread the love. Get the word out there for us. And you could find me on Twitter at Daily Walt Disney or on Facebook at Pacinetti. So for all of us here at the Mickey Dudes Podcast, have a good night. See you next week. You've just listened to another exciting episode at the Mickey Dudes Podcast. You can find the Mickey Dudes on Facebook at the Mickey Dudes Podcast and on Twitter at the Mickey Dudes. If you enjoyed our podcast, please share the love on Stitcher or iTunes. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you again real soon. You know, here's me saying, oh, it's a shame this is uh, Pat went away down and he did the, the Star Wars fireworks and the fireworks get cancelled. And it's a shame when that happens and all of a sudden... <laughs> This is the following week. There's a bloody hurricane, you know.